Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. A Giuliani is seeking high office in New York. Not Rudy Giuliani, but rather his son, Andrew, who wants to become the Republican governor of New York State when they elect a new leader next year. It's meant that the name Giuliani is back in the news, although in truth, it's hardly ever gone away. And that's because in January, Dominion Voting Systems sued Rudy Giuliani, seeking $1.3 billion from him, alleging that he had pushed debunked conspiracy theories that the company had produced faulty results in favour of Joe Biden. We're not going to let him get away with it. We're not going to steal this election. This election gets decided by the people. We're going to stick with this. We're going to win this election. We've actually won it. Just a matter of counting the votes fairly. In late April, the FBI searched Giuliani's apartment on Madison Avenue and his office in Manhattan, seizing cell phones and computers as part of an investigation into his dealings in Ukraine. All part of that story that got Donald Trump impeached back in the beginning of 2020. Uh, Rudy Giuliani denies any wrongdoing, denies all those charges, but it means that we are once again talking about this figure Rudy Giuliani, who is a kind of epic, almost operatic character in American politics going all the way back to the 1980s, when he was this hard-charging prosecutor in New York, taking down the mafia, then famously, world famously, America's mayor, they called him, because he was on hand during 9-11, and then pops up at the right hand as the defender, almost the last defender, of Donald Trump. Uh, in the aftermath of the November 2020 election. Who better to chart this extraordinary odyssey than Andrew Kurtzman, who is the biographer of Rudy Giuliani, author of Emperor of the City, and now at work on a second volume of biography. And I began my conversation with Andrew Kurtzman by asking him why this subject, Rudy Giuliani, has fascinated him so much. Rudy Giuliani is probably the most fascinating political figure I've covered in many years as a political reporter. I mean, you're talking about someone who has, you know, arguably achieved greatness and has also become one of the most um, despised people just uh, uh, both nationally and also across the world. No exaggeration to talk about the global figure, because you're right that after 9-11, he was hailed as America's mayor. He did become a kind of global joke, and people have not shaken that image of him doing the 
outdoor press conference with what we thought was hair dye streaming down his cheeks and that became a kind of global image as well so so it has been a kind of global hero to global joke story in a way and well look we want to talk about it with you uh, i mean you are somebody who's covered politics for a long time and i know deeply expert in new york politics uh, you must have presumably spoken to him fairly often including for the books you've written I mean, I've been covering Rudy Giuliani since 1993. I, I began as a city hall reporter in New York City, covering him for an all news television station here. The man just lives for battle. And, you know, I would argue that that has served the public well in, in many um, stages of his career. I mean, as a, as a prosecutor, I mean, he took on bad guys <laughs> that uh, that few prosecutors in American history have taken on. I mean, he prosecuted all the um, heads of the Mafia Commission um, all in one swoop, and he won. He took on um, Wall Street uh, miscreants, and he won. I mean, it took a level of audacity that we then saw as as mayor. Even then, Giuliani was a story, uh, partly for the reason you've said, which is he was this crime buster and was known to be fearless. So it's not like he just began having this huge international profile with 9-11. He had a profile even before. But just in terms of you and his and his relationship with you and yours with him, I mean, would he regard you as a friend or foe, do you think? I think he'd regard me as a reporter, right? Um, you know, we've he and I have had our ups and downs. Um, I was with Giuliani on the morning of September 11th, and up until that moment, you know, he had kept he had kept an arm's length distance from me, just as he had with every reporter for every news organization. He distrusted reporters. You know, everything changed that morning because we, uh, you know, we we experienced a horrifying. Um, uh, a day together and literally ran together for our lives at one point. Um, and so our relationship changed um, for many, many years. Um, but then it changed again because, <laughs> you know, 9-11 receded. And then I kind of went back to uh, covering him in a, you know, what I would think um, was an even-handed way. But, you know, in many cases were very critical. And then suddenly the warmth kind of dissipated and we went back to kind of you know, uh, uh, newsmaker, reporter relationship. I mean, just because you've mentioned that you were there with him on 9-11, that's so fascinating. I mean, he, he, he was mocked in later years as, for sort of constantly going on about 9-11. And I remember one of his rivals saying, you know, a Giuliani sentence is subject, verb, object, 9-11. That's every sentence that comes out of his mouth. But just tell us what it was like to be with him the moment he heard that the plane had gone into presumably the second tower because we know famously those pictures of George W. Bush and how he reacted. You were there, you were eyes on with Giuliani. How did he react in that moment? I mean, that moment is kind of indelibly burned into my um, psyche. I jumped into a taxi and I kind of intimidated a taxi driver to take me down towards uh, the World Trade Center <laughs> while everyone else was trying to escape it. And he finally slammed the brakes down a few blocks away from the World Trade Center and told me to get out of there. And so I kind of emerged on this street that was covered with ash. It was deserted. Police officers started screaming at me to get off the street. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm a member of the press. I, I have to find Giuliani. And he said, oh, Giuliani, he's right there. <laughs> and sure enough, half, you know, half a block away, Giuliani had just come 
um, out of uh, the, the basement of a building um, taking refuge from the destruction or the implosion of the first tower. And he waved me on. He's like, Andrew, you know, let's go. And, you know, he was covered in, in, in ash. Uh, he was with his, um, his, um, his police commissioner, his fire commissioner, his first deputy mayor. And we started walking um, north away from the trade center um, in this kind of nomadic quest to reestablish the city government. I mean, the whole, you know, we were in a war zone and suddenly um, the second tower uh, imploded and uh, the the plume started chasing us. And, uh, you know, his um, security guy, wrapped, you know, threw his arm around Giuliani and kind of was like, let's go. And we all ran. We all ran. Um, and when we outran that uh, that mushroom cloud, uh, we walked about a mile. You know, we, there wasn't even a car. And, you know, I watched Giuliani, you know, the man who had uh, the, the worst temper of any public official I'd ever covered became the calmest one in the bunch. And it was very, you know, it was extraordinarily re- reassuring for me personally. And, you know, once we established uh, contact with the rest of the world, you know, he had the same effect on, on the public internationally. The fire is still burning, but from it has emerged a stronger spirit, a more unified country, a more unified city, and a more unified world in the goal of making certain that something like this never happens again. You know, the public came to see him as a hero, right? And that was a little overblown. He didn't, you know, save anyone. He just kind of took charge. But people were so desperate at that moment that they kind of focused all of their hope, their hopes on him. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of made a, a, a historic, I guess, impression on, on the public. I think it's good that you've reminded of the, uh, us of this, because, of course, at that time, uh, the president, George W. Bush, was in the air. He was taken eventually to Nebraska. The vice president was in an undisclosed location. As you say, the world was looking for leadership. And in that moment, uh, uh, it was Rudy Giuliani. And for people who have only seen the recent incarnation of Giuliani, perhaps it's good to be reminded of that. To talk about right now and why we are talking about him uh, today on the podcast, in January, Dominion Voting Systems, the people who make the voting machines, sued Giuliani, seeking, I think, $1.3 billion, alleging that he had pushed debunked conspiracy theories that the company had produced faulty results that would favour Joe Biden. Uh, Giuliani, I think, sought to dismiss the lawsuit in April, but Dominion has asked the judge to bring the case to trial. And I think more recently, the, a judge has appointed a watchdog to review material seized in that probe. Uh, and then in late April, the FBI searched Giuliani's apartment to Madison Avenue over a different thing as part of their ongoing investigation into his dealings in Ukraine. Now, of course, he denies any wrongdoing. But how much trouble now is Rudy Giuliani in? Um, he's in a lot of trouble. I mean, we're now 20 years past 9-11, and we're seeing kind of the latter-day Rudy Giuliani, um, who's kind of the Trump loyalist, um, Trump attorney. And, you know, in Trump's kind of last days, it was really just uh, Rudy Giuliani was the last friend that uh, Donald Trump had who still believed that the election was stolen. The legal trouble is um, is. Um, serious. He took on uh, a large number of uh, clients who made him very, very wealthy um, and traveled through Ukraine trying to prove that um, that the Bidens 
uh, basically were uh, a corrupt enterprise, just to simplify this issue. Um, and so the the prosecutors are looking into whether there was um, what he was doing in Ukraine uh, benefited him um, and uh, he should have been, whether he should have been registered as a lobbyist because of the benefits that he was incurring. Um, and that that's, that's the um, thrust of the investigation, which is being um, led by the same U.S. Attorney's Office that Giuliani led, whatever, 30 years ago. Absolutely underlines the contrast that uh, at this point, he is being under investigation from the very office where he, in a way, forged his reputation. You, you, let's go back even earlier, um, just to get a sense of where it all began for him uh, and where he came from. R- right before politics and even in a way before the law can you tell us much about who Rudy Giuliani was right at the very start he um was brought up in in Brooklyn in very modest circumstances by uh, uh first generation uh, Italian immigrants believe very uh, strongly in a Catholic education and he he went through Catholic he went to Catholic schools all the way through law school um, and I think it made a very, very deep impression upon him. Everything that Giuliani does is kind of tinged with a moral element. And even even in situations when he's behaved immorally, um, he's kind of justified himself as being kind of in the right. So, uh, you know, and again, one of the fascinating things about Giuliani is the kind of duality of his accomplishments. Some of them because he saw everything in terms of black and white, he was able to kind of pick out bad guys um, from good guys in a way that benefited the city, right? And such as uh, when he was prosecutor and prosecuted the mob. Um, But that same kind of moral certitude also informed his actions when he was cheating on his wife. I mean, he was, and this is as mayor, he, he held a, like, he flaunted an extramarital affair. He was proud of it. And um, that kind of became part of, of his legacy. And I think that's what you're seeing, you know, even today in his troubles uh, working for Trump. I mean, when he was kind of, you know, traveling through Ukraine, looking for dirt on Joe Biden's son, uh, you know, he felt he was on the side of right. He was like, I'm going to expose the, you know, the corruption of, you know, Joe Biden, and I'm going to prove that Donald Trump had been, um, you know, uh, persecuted in an unfair way. So it's very interesting this idea that he sees himself, what other, whatever other people might say, as a highly moral figure, and there, a, a kind of, there's a religious dimension to that, which I know it, it informed even his own initial ambitions. And he's not particularly religious. <laughs> He's he's he has the kind of um, absolutism of uh, the the church, um, but he's you know he's not a particularly religious man. But he did consider being becoming a priest. Yes, when he was young, when he was in high school, he was so taken with his teachings that he considered becoming a priest. And what put him off? He says that it was uh, the vow of celibacy that he just was not interested in. Yeah, I mean, but you mentioned a bit about his his marital life, but but even beyond that, family life, his relationship with his children. We now have the prospect of his son running for governor. Even that is not straightforward with Rudy Giuliani. 
Well, I, I mean, his he had he had a son and a daughter um, at, who were young at the time that he was mayor, and they kind of witnessed this implosion of his marriage in which he um, flaunted this extramarital affair and then announced that he was separating from their mother um, without informing her. I mean, it was just so crazy, so crazy. The kids didn't talk to him for years. Before he became mayor, I think you've talked us through it, really, he had this reputation as almost kind of Elliot Ness out of the untouchables, this the, the really, you know, hard and capable lawman who um, was prosecuting, as you say, the mob and others. But as mayor, I think people probably know one thing about him, and that is, again, subject verb object 9-11. But what else was he like as mayor? Because I think by 2001, when 9-11 happened, he was more or less towards the very end of his tenure as mayor so what had he what had he done in 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 that office in new york for i think eight years well i mean that's a it's a great question i mean new york has has not seen the likes of rudy giuliani um for uh, for many decades uh, he he came to office um at a very low point in new york city history the um, the 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 murder rate and the crime rate was really out of control, and there was a sense of um, disarray on the streets. And you know, Giuliani, who, as I said, sees things you know simplistically in a, in a very black and white way, he uh, used a very heavy hand to combat the crime problem, to sweep the streets, and um, you know that it, it came at the expense of a, a lot of underprivileged people. And at the expense of the black community, where you know the crime rate was the highest, and so was the police um, presence, but the city uh, experienced a plunge in, uh, in crime. The city became far more livable, livable, and as a result, poor neighborhoods uh, flowered and and you know took on a economic vitality. And, and you, it may, again, the impact was global. I mean, I remember in London, the left-wing mayor of London at the time, Ken Livingstone, greeting his opposite number, Mayor Giuliani, and saying, London has a huge amount to learn from you about zero tolerance, the phrase of the time. I mean, it was a model that was followed around the world, and then 9-11. So his stock could not have been higher. I remember in 2000, there was the prospect that we were going to see a race for the New York Senate, which was going to pit Hillary Clinton, then outgoing first lady, against Rudy Giuliani. That didn't happen. Tell us why that didn't happen and why it explains why Giuliani went a bit quiet for a few years. A few things happened. Um, the first was the um, the exposure of his uh, extramarital affair um, and then the kind of destruction of his marriage in a very public way. And then he um, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, so that was kind of layered on, on top of that. And the you know the combination of his health problem and his um, out of control, you know, public slash private problems led him to pull out of the race. But in the years that followed, we didn't, I think it's fair to say, hear much of him again. Certainly in Britain, uh, around the world, I don't think he had the kind of big reputation again. He ran in 2008 for the presidency. That didn't really go anywhere. I think that was seen as a bit of a mess. It was a disaster. He's, I mean, Rudy Giuliani had wanted to be president since he was a teenager. His whole trajectory was focused on an, an eventual run for president, and it was a bust. I mean, he, he left the race without a single delegate, and I think that was kind of a turning point in his life. Now, to, well, first of all, tell us why it was a bust and then why it was a turning point. Well, uh, you know, middle America was not as forgiving 
of Giuliani's personal life. <laughs> um, that's number one. Number two is he was just not as conservative as the Republican Party. And so he favored abortion rights. He favored um, he favored gay rights. And that is not where you know the country's Republican Party was at that point. So he entered with several strikes against him. Um, he turned out to be kind of um, tone deaf about the needs or the interests of um, the public. I mean, all he had was the 9-11 card that he played, you know, over and over um, when, you know, the public cared more about the economy and other things. And then strategically, he made some very, very bad choices. He kind of s- s- decided to skip all the small states. And um, by the time he entered the competitive uh, primaries, down the road, um, John McCain was uh, already solidified as a as the front runner, and Giuliani was an afterthought. And you say it was a turning point in his career. I mean, I, I, I'm interested to know whether why you say that, and whether part of it was kind of ideological, because he was seen as on the left of the Republican Party then, but in terms of, as you said, abortion rights, gay rights, gun control, even, and then he pops up in you know the trump period working for and at the side of yes a complicated figure but also one of the most right-wing republicans there's ever been i know he trump's politics are complicated we've got into that often on this podcast but just tell us why you think it was a turning point for for giuliani and in what direction he could have remained above partisan politics he could have remained the statesman um, and instead, he kind of threw his lot in, especially after the presidential race, with uh, with George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and the invasion of Iraq. And he just found a lot of kind of comfort in um, very strident partisan politics, which saw his popularity and kind of the 9-11 halo fade. He made a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, he made tens of millions of dollars kind of um, using his 9-11 fame to get contracts with foreign countries and uh, corporations, not all of them so kind of virtuous. Um, And he was out of the political spotlight and then went on for many, many years, making a lot of money, but fading in, in relevance, politically speaking, until Donald Trump came around. And when Donald Trump ran for president, he was, he was an outsider to politics. Most people in the Republican Party had chosen sides with the other candidates. And Giuliani tied his fortunes to Trump. And when Trump got into trouble during the campaign for his extramarital activities, Giuliani was one of the few people who'd go on television and uh, defend him. And Trump became kind of his meal ticket. And uh, Giuliani adjusted his politics uh, accordingly. We need a man like Donald Trump who's got a positive view. Let's fix things. Let's get things on the right track. Let's get good jobs for everybody. And I think that message of inclusion is going to be a very helpful antidote to the way we've been divided over the last eight years. And so that's interesting, your use of the phrase meal ticket. I mean, the sceptical view was he doesn't like Trump, he doesn't respect Trump, but he's doing this just to still get booked on CNN and on Fox, just to still be on TV and to still be relevant. Was that too harsh? Well, I, you know, I think that probably that that was the case when he first started out with Trump. I think there was just a very kind of opportunistic thinking there. Um, but 
you know, once he was in for a dime, he was in for a dollar and he became a real true believer. When someone kind of wants something, they can talk themselves into anything. <laughs> and I think that's what we saw. I think Giuliani at this point um, is a true believer in Trump. But the odd thing about it is he didn't really fully get what he wanted. I mean, he wanted to be president. We know that. He surely would have wanted a big job like Secretary of State or even Attorney General. He didn't get that. He just was kind of Donald Trump's fixer. Well, he could have been the Attorney General. I mean, Trump was offering him many, many jobs. Giuliani held out for Secretary of State, and they even considered him for that job. But his tangle of foreign um, private dealings, his financial entanglement scared them off. They didn't think that he could win congressional approval. And, uh, you know, then he ended up kind of nowhere until Trump got into trouble with Ukraine and then called in Giuliani as kind of his uh, his fixer. And what's odd about that is he was such a successful prosecutor for so long. Surely he knew that in talking openly about what he had been doing in Ukraine, that he was going to get find himself, you know, facing some big questions from just the kind of people who used to work for him, Rudy Giuliani, back when he was a prosecutor. Now, I, I disagree. I think that he felt that he was on the up and up. And I, I think he felt that what he was doing was morally justified because, uh, once again, you know, he felt that the Bidens were uh, corrupt and getting a free pass and that and that Trump, um, the whole uh, Russia investigation was uh, was loaded, and he was going to expose that through his de- through his uh, you know detective work in Ukraine. So I, I you know I can't say that he saw it completely cynically. I, I referred to that moment, which again visually went round the world when he was you know filmed with the streaks of what must have been hair dye running down his cheeks and you know and of course the late night hosts mocked him and the video went viral do you you know him well you've watched him so closely for so long do you think it bothers him that he went from being the hero of 9-11 to being this kind of joke figure of course it does of course it does i mean here's a man who cares more about his um kind of um public uh, uh standing than virtually any politician you could think of. Uh, look, I mean, I think during the that unfortunate period, I think that Giuliani was trying to relive his glory years as a prosecutor. And he was, uh, you know, he was Trump's attorney and who's trying to prove a case, who's trying to prove that the election was stolen from Trump. But he was not a, you know, 35-year-old prosecutor anymore. He's, you know, he's a man in his 70s. And he hadn't prosecuted a case in decades. What is the relationship with Donald Trump like now? Are they still in touch? Have they fallen out? Tell us what, where the relationship stands now. I mean, now he's now he's a man under investigation. I mean, the FBI raided his office and raided his apartment. So you know, there's that, and also there's the uh, potential situation in which the feds kind of press Giuliani to, to uh, turn on Trump, right? Tell him what they know. Tell him what what he knows about Trump. <laughs> um, th- so the two of them are in a very fraught uh, position right now, and Trump is under investigation also. I did mention at the top that his son a- Andrew Giuliani. What is it with these big New York politicians and sons called Andrew wanting to be governor? There's Andrew Cuomo, son of Mario. Is there going to be Andrew Giuliani, governor, son of Rudy? What do you think? What are his chances? Uh, his chances are very low. I mean, he's, he's 
he's trading on Giuliani's name, which is not particularly uh, much of an asset at this point. He also has virtually no qualifications for the job. I mean, he's he's deluded right now. There's he's he's up against people who have been um, seasoned politicians who have records of accomplishment. And Andrew Giuliani was a, a low-level staffer in the White House, you know, it's, it was a famous name, and he played golf with President Trump. Uh, but I, th- I think he has delusions of grandeur. Yeah, so you're not putting any money on uh, the Giuliani dynasty seizing the governorship of New York anytime soon. Um, we always ask our guests on the podcast a what else question uh, on something completely different. So our what else question to you uh, this week is that... Uh, Joe Biden is about to come to Britain, to Cornwall in England for the G7 summit. The host for that is the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Joe Biden once called Boris Johnson a physical and emotional clone of Donald Trump. Do you think that it's going to make it a little awkward across the G7 table between Biden and Johnson as a result? But politicians are very transactional people. And so I, I'm sure they'll proclaim a new day in, in their relationship. And Biden is, you know, Biden's got an approval rating of over 60% right now. He's, you know, he's doing, doing very well with the public. Um, I think that'll carry a lot of weight in, in terms of uh, other uh, foreign leaders who, um, who need, you know, to something out of the United States. I mean, the, the two countries are, are so inextricably bound to one another that it's just in everyone's best interest, um, politically speaking, to get along. Andrew Kurtzman, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I think this conversation has been fascinating. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks for having me. And that is all from me for this week. Before we go, I want to recommend you listen to Wednesday's episode of UK Politics Weekly, where the team looked ahead to what is one of the biggest tests for Boris Johnson on the international stage. It is that G7 summit taking place this weekend. And of course, I'd like to hear from all of you. As I've mentioned before, we always do enjoy your questions and comments. So do please keep sending them in. You can do that either via email, podcasts at theguardian.com is the address, or you can reach me on Twitter where I am at Friedland. And remember, it's a double E. For now, it's goodbye. The producers this week are Matt Murphy and Daniel Stevens, and I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please stay safe out there, and thanks, as always, for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. 
dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. 